you essentially read Sartre professionally, and this is, I think, the first time I've read Sartre, if not ever, at least in a, like a decade or more. So uh, one thing that's probably going to happen is I'm going to frustrate you by using the wrong kind of terminology and uh, misattributing things. So anticipate a bit of that. looking at Jean-Paul Sartre's uh, Critique of Dialectical Reason, Volume 1, which is like this, you know, uh, I think the first volume is about 850-odd pages, right? And and it contains sentences um, such as, you know, uh, thus we have seen class being as a practico inert statute of individual or common praxis as this future sentence petrified in past being, which this praxis itself has to carry out and in which it must finally recognize itself in a new experience of necessity, right? So this is how Sartre writes. Like, he's a terrible writer, and, um, and even more so in, in this book, The Critique of Dialectical Reason. Uh, he sort of wrote this book in, at the height of an addiction to methamphetamine, um, and so he was just sort of like writing, writing, and writing. So like one of the things that's a huge obstacle to reading this book is, is just the... Um, this sort of like needlessly complicated terminology that he uses. But, but basically what it is, is um, it's a book that is an analysis of what you might call the machine, right? Like what you might call the, the way that some, something that's not quite human um, acts against uh, human attempts at uh, defining the meaning of their lives and the meaning of the world for themselves. He's, he's probably like the most famous um, French philosopher of the 20th century. I think that like, seems pretty safe to say that. Right? That's fair to say. Um, I think he's the one most people would know the name of. Yeah. And even if you don't know him, you know the caricature, right? The sort of the cigarettes and the, the you know, the, the lots of smoke, lots of sort of uh, emphasis on on the meaninglessness of it all and death and, and gloom and those sorts of things, right? An ugly, a, sexy man. An ugly, sexy man. Yeah, like the sex, the yeah. So, I'll you know, quick biography starts. You know, uh, kind of born into like a I think sort of upper middle classish kind of French family. Uh, thought he was 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 sort of idolized by his uh, mother. You know. And uh, he had these beautiful long curls as a little boy. And uh, he writes about in his autobiography that when they were cut off, he had to come to grips with the fact that he was ugly. Because mm. he has these eyes that point in two different directions, which like oddly comes up a lot in his biography. Like at one point, anyway, he just he realized that no one was ever going to think he was beautiful anymore. So that like the only thing that he was getting recognized for from a very young age was his intellectual uh, accomplishment. I think his bigger project, as at least as I understand it, and what probably most people have heard of, is yeah. I mean, the word is existentialism, and the sort of slogan of it is that for for mankind, existence precedes essence, right? So there's nothing about being human that tells you how to act, right? You exist first, then you decide what you're going to do, right? And and in doing so, you define mankind. 
So then, uh, yeah, uh, this later writing then. So can you kind of position it a little bit in in reference to that? What he calls in here the practical inert. Right? Okay. Um, works against our own attempts at uh, you know changing the world in a way that we intend. If that makes sense, right? Okay, so uh, it it does that does make sense, but I mean we're gonna have to obviously get into how we intend things and uh, what kind of mm. person would intend something that that the machine wasn't already compelling them to do, kind of thing. Uh, right. Like, so, so what he calls the practical inert, yeah. right? Is is like um, like a tool. Or something, right? Like if you, yeah. I mean, this is a very basic example, and I'm not, I don't think this is really what he means, but it's helpful. Okay. Um, if you pick up a hammer and you kind of hold it and swing it around and stuff, what do you start to see? Uh, a, uh, a blur, a hammer, a hammer so, in front of you. There's a saying that goes along with this, right? When you're holding a hammer, everything looks like a hammer. Oh, God. When you're holding a hammer, Zeke, everything looks like a nail. Have you never heard oh, this? No, sorry. Okay, well, yeah. you know, think about it, right? Like, not, if you, not very if you're rusty. holding a hammer or just anything, like I've got a pair of scissors here, right? And just grabbing the scissors and kind of doing this, right? All of a sudden, what do I start to see? Oh, like I could cut this. Things and, that you can cut. Yeah, yeah okay, right? yeah, yeah. It start to appear to me as, as sort of interpreted by the scissors. Right. Right? And so, like, in some sense, I'm doing that. I picked up the scissors. I have, you know, it, it, it requires a human consciousness to make those things re reveal themselves. But in another important sense, right? Like I didn't invent scissoring, right? And, and I, uh, that, that world of scissoring, right? Of cutting things with scissors or hitting things with nails, right? Is kind of opened up and contained in, in the tool. Does that make sense? It is. Yeah. That's, yeah. yeah. So, sure. so like a, a practical inert thing is a kind of, um, an arrangement of matter, right? That's the result of some work that humans have done mm -hmm. to make scissors and scissorable things, right? right? That, that um, works on me and through me to open up possibilities for action. Yeah, okay. Yeah. yeah. Okay, so, so he's interested in that in this book um, by thinking about not just how uh, like I make use of the scissors mostly, right? Like there's not a lot of nefarious um, use of me that the scissors are making, right? There's no there's no secret plan behind scissor society, <laughs> right? Right? Yeah. Um, but he does want to sort of say like the, the, the I guess the difference between a practical nerd thing and just a tool is the practical nerd seems to have some kind of agency of its own. Right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it acts, acts on you a little bit. On, on us. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so yeah. we become kind of the objects of right, of right. Um, of some subject that isn't us. Right. And so we become uh, the tool of of the tools instead of being the user of the tool. Okay. So that, I think that's a good setup. I think we're. I think we can jump into the chapter now. Um, <laughs> So, so this is a chapter about exactly that, right? Yeah. And, and he's uh, talking about the way specifically that mass media does that. Mm -hmm. and, he, and the example that he's using is the radio. 
but it, it just seemed like such an apt thing for us to talk about because uh, this is a podcast. Yeah, I mean, uh, it, we've already buried the lead, but I mean, I think this will this will be uh, <laughs> this will be fun um, once we kind of get through uh, you know the discussion of the chapter because it has some has some uh, thematic implications for our podcast, I think, too. So, um, yeah, uh, so he start, starts listening to the radio. Um, <laughs> he's uh, hilariously, he's generally not happy with what he hears. He's he's pretty grumpy about the content uh, in the broadcasts. Um, this is my favorite stuff about Sark, if I could just say that. Like, which, my- what's that? When he like his he writes in this way that's just half of the time it's unreadable and then you know there'll be thirty pages of of crazy interior exterior up and down you know words that don't have obvious cognates and then there'll be like this beautiful lucid seven pages where he's just like here's what it's like to listen to the radio mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah and it's like yeah I don't know a really nice insightful description so that's that's what we've got here basically is all I'm saying right it's like He's using this example to explain the way that, um, you know, his key, his key idea here is like, we're not our operating, we're not ourselves when we're listening to the radio. And we're not, we're not, um, listening to the radio is not an opportunity to be yourself. It's not an opportunity to, expo- to uh, exercise your agency, right? Um, it's not a place to be political, right? But, it does set you up as a kind of something like a political thing, right? The active thing really is the radio, not you. Um, so the only thing with agency in this scenario is this like disembodied voice um, that reaches you through technology kind of thing. Um, and it is the thing that's acting on you and hundreds and thousands of other people. Uh, but that is not... Uh, an equally reciprocal relationship. There's some reciprocity in the sense that you um, you judge it and you uh, respond to it in your sort of private sphere, but you don't have the same. You're not on equal footing with the with the voice on the radio um, because you can't respond to it directly. You can't say "fucking idiot," I completely hate you. You can't yeah. say to the crowd around. Nobody listen to this asshole. Yeah. Like you don't. And there's have... an important point there, right? Yeah. Where who's being addressed, right? It's not talking to you one on one because you can't respond, right? So who, who is the voice talking to, right? It's talking to the listener, right? Which is... And what, and so can you just tell, tell me just a little bit what is the listeners then if it's not me? Right. So the way, the way that Sark gets about this is he sort of says, like, you know, it uses the form of a human reciprocal relationship, namely a, a conversation or a dialogue between two people, right? I can say this shit and you can say, oh, slow down, explain that, right? Or, oh, no, I'm not so sure about that. Like, I'm gonna push you here, right? Does that make sense? Yeah. That would, be, that would be a reciprocal sort of like process of mutual recognition whereby we're, you know, two dueling subjects or we're working together or whatever, right? But uh, each, each pole in the conversation has some agency and some receptivity. Does that make sense? Yeah. Yeah. Whereas the radio doesn't do that, right? It doesn't, it doesn't address you as Zeke. It doesn't address me as Mike. Right? 
it, it, it doesn't address anybody as anybody except as a listener. And again, he says, like, this is not the same as as going to a, a rally or something, right, where you could boo the speaker. Right. Right. And 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 uh, yes, it might be a one way kind of thing, but he's really addressing an us. Right. We're we're together and our agency is a group agency when we throw rotten fruit on the stage or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or we cheer together or whatever. Yeah. Right. He's addressing a kind a different kind of group is the point. Right. And so the question is, what kind of person is he addressing and what kind of group is he addressing? Right. So so that's that's one of the questions that starts asking. Right? Mm -hmm. How am I being addressed by the radio? And, and his point is not as um, not as a member of a of a group. Right. In the in the sense of a group that that could enact some kind of resistance. <laughs> Right. Nor in the sense of an individual that could um, respond. Does that make sense? Yeah. And I mean, um, it, so this sort of uh, I know this isn't like a profound statement, but it is, it's it's a just it's a dehumanizing kind of quality because it's it's assuming that you are just kind of like a, uh, a blank um, stand in of some kind. You're like a, you're you're a, a, a just an empty value. Like you don't have a particular character um, because you're not because a particular character would imply some kind of personalized response. So if there's no personalized response, you're just speaking to just kind of an empty vacuum of a of a of a receptacle for the for the content. Right. And the uh, you know the, the this is where we start we start to see why he's kind of um, why he's making an issue out of this because. It is constituating you. Is that a word? Constituing you, constituting you, constituting you. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, as something, but not as something that has any kind of um, agency to do anything, right? So it, it's a, it, it, it's a, it's a passive constitution that this radio voice is 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 uh, uh, constructing out of you. Uh, yeah. It's turning you into a thing that does nothing. Well, it's not that you do nothing, right? That's the interesting part, right? There are things you could do, right? But the things that you could do are not the things that you could do as a as a um, a member of an organized group, right? Or even of a crowd, right? And they're not the kinds of things that you could do as a person to person kind of. Yeah. Relation. So, what are these things that so, people do when they're listening to the radio? Then they're very simple, right? Like you could turn it off. And you, and in other words, you can do nothing. Right? You can do nothing because you, what you, what you, what doing something, an active act, an, an an agent acting, would be able to affect the public sphere somehow. Yeah. Which is what the voice is doing. Yeah. Right. But all you can do is act as a, as a private judge. You can yeah. act in your own enclosure where, um, you know, you can choose yes or no. But uh, you don't have any kind of impact uh, beyond the sphere that's already your own home. Yeah. Right. Alternatively, so, what else could you do? So the other thing you could you could potentially react to objectionable content. Let's stick with objectionable for now. Is you could uh, circulate some kind of uh, outrage, uh, some kind of response, right? Well, I mean, I was thinking like you could tweet. 
Exactly. That's like what I mean. We're talking about it now. Like you can you can tweet yeah. at Ben Shapiro like you're a dumbass or whatever. Right? You can circulate a response. Yeah. You can yeah. you can you can you can put a, you can object publicly. Yeah. Uh, you can object on in a form sort of context, right? Uh, so what's the problem with this? Well, first of all, we have to notice that that comes after, right? So it's always something that's that's not a part of the experience of actually listening to the radio. It's it's a it's a thing that's separated by you know time and space or whatever. Um, but even then, if you if you tweet at at let's say you you know like I listen to Rush Limbaugh in the car or like Ben Shapiro in the car and like because uh, Ben Shapiro's on the radio down here, which is fucking crazy. Mm, but of course, um, you know, uh, you know, and and like you you could and and I feel this way when I read it, right? Like like fuck these guys, like what are they talking about, right? Like they're wrong. You know, you find yourself in your car like yelling at them or whatever. Yeah, right? it's like the most yeah. relatable experience of all. Yeah, <laughs> yelling at the radio or the yelling television. at the radio or or, yeah. or or tweeting angrily back at some person yeah. who's a you know, public figure. Yeah. So the tweeting angrily back, right? Like I think I think the thing that's neat here is is Sartre's point is like this doesn't make me uh, an individual, right? Whose whose own action matters on its own, right? Like I'm not challenging Ben Shapiro. Because Ben Shapiro is not going to pay attention to my tweet, is he? Right. Right. The only thing that would make Ben Shapiro pay attention to my tweet is if me and a whole bunch of other people independently made a decision to tweet the same thing at Ben Shapiro. Right. Right. Roughly the same objection. Roughly the same objection. But then, right, my action is, uh, is not my action. Right. And neither is it the action of a, a crowd. Right. It's it's the kind it because it's what he calls serial action, right? An action that only matters insofar as everybody else in different contexts chooses to do the same thing, right? Right. So now we've got like the so as, as I was sort of somewhat mistakenly saying before, it, you know, you've been constituted as someone who can do nothing. Okay, you can do something, but that something is reactive. And it's it's sort of pre-programmed, even if it's negative, it's something like, you know, it's totally dependent on the initial uh, content of what the voice puts out and, and, and antagonizes you with. So if you're if you and 500 other people are reacting to the same problem, you're still basically under the control of that discourse. You're not creating a totally new uh, you're, you're not on the same level as the voice that gets to decide whatever it wants to talk about. I right. think, and, and the other thing is, right, like this is outrage culture that he's mm -hmm. describing. Exactly. It's right? 100% like, that. It's not actually anybody's real concern, right? Because it, 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 is, it is just outrage, right? And we'll get to this. But, but like I think his point about, about serialization, right, is that there are, there are certain kinds of things that you can say, right, um, that have to only, that, that will only be effective if other people say them too, right? Mm -hmm. So yeah. like his example is if enough people complain to NBC or whatever, or to the radio station, right? Yeah. Then so-and-so might get kicked off. Or like if enough people complain to, um, you know, the advertisers or whatever, right? They might lose some advertising. Right? Yeah, but, yeah. But, but that's, um, yeah, well, we'll get to, we'll get to why that's, that's not particularly an interesting kind of action for him. Right. But but it, it's it's got to do with the fact that it's it's neither my own action. Right. Which is meaningful. 
it's always the action of other people, right? Because it's it's only insofar as other people do it that my voice matters. Yeah. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. Right? Which means I'm not actually saying anything because I'm just being another voice for all the other people. Mm-hmm. So um, it's it's sort of like this anonymous complaint, right? That is yeah. nobody's because everybody who lodges it does so as an other. Yeah. Does that make sense? Right. So yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. So the idea is kind of like, okay, yeah, I'll pile on. Yeah, yeah. Right. Not because I'm expressing my chosen project, right? But because I recognize that the the way that this project works is if everybody else does it, then it'll work, right? So I'll become like everybody else. Yeah. 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 For them, right? So again, I don't actually have any means of influencing what Ben Shapiro gives a shit about, right? right. Uh, all I have is, is this sort of uh, outrage machine, right? Which is actually nobody's complaint. Yeah, and, it, and it's kind of pre-coded in a way. It's, uh, yeah. you, you, there's only certain ways you can effectively do it. Yeah. Uh, and you don't choose those ways. Yeah. Um, is there any other type of reaction that you think we should uh, talk about before we move on from, from that? Like, uh, so no, I mean, not really. Like I was just thinking, okay, so you have the experience of feeling like, oh, okay. Yeah. No, there is another thing. So then there's, this is, I think probably the most important one. Um, there's the, the kind of concern trolling thing where you, uh, you hear a thing that you object to and you experience it as something that you're worried about how it might impress itself as an opinion upon other people who are more dumb than you. Yeah. So this is, this is the best. This is the most interesting most part. Yeah. Right? Is, is that when you listen to a thing that, that bothers you, this is why you can't just turn it off because your concern actually isn't with the stupidity of it. Right. Like, you know, you might think he sort of says like, you know, you, you might think that you could refute this, argument that's being made even if you can't right right you 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 know like i know better than rush limbaugh and his crazy shit right Mm -hmm. but god damn it it's poisoning other minds yeah yeah and that's your actual objection to this stuff not that it's wrong right but that it's acting on others who are perhaps more impressionable than you yeah yeah and and it's it's funny i don't think he really goes into this but what i immediately think about is like the kind of conceitedness of it like he's kind of hmm. he's kind of like letting you like he's he, it's relatable because he's saying you know you think you're smarter than your neighbors yeah, yeah. and it bugs you that someone will be so irresponsible as to broadcast the opinion that there's too many asylum seekers in this country because your neighbors are going to be so dumb yeah that they'll think they can't trust immigrants. But you know better, so you better continue listening. Yeah. Just yeah. so that you know and prepare yourself for all the dumb assholes that are going to have heard this and want to repeat it to you, and then you'll go and change their mind or something like that, right? Yeah. Like, if there's some kind of weird conceit to it where you think, like, like maybe you're listening because there's, a, like, a certain weird joy or uh, fixation to you know, imagining yourself as the smart one. 
Yeah. So you listen right. to like some dumb thing or something that you are, you know, you're capable of doing better, but you, you know, indulge in the, the gratuity of it. And you think, ah, I just like to, you know, I like to watch trashy uh, entertainment television because, you know, I need to know what it's like so that I can go out in there and dispel all the consumerism and the crap that I see on there. But really, you're just watching their Kardashians and you're really enjoying it as much as anybody else. Yeah, uh, you're enjoying it in maybe a slightly different way. Yeah, but you're you're kind of just like, uh, you know, you're exciting yourself somehow. I uh, think Sartre's point about most of that stuff is that most people are doing it. Right? Uh, well, I think there he's are very of, few people that that sort of are the people you imagine. <laughs> right, right, exactly. Yeah, because yeah. I think he's supposed to like I I mean the way that it's written, it's supposed to apply to it's supposed to be read like that anybody reading it would relate to it. Yeah. And he's kind of he's not he's not ju- he's not saying it judgmentally, but he's saying like, you know, the listener then occupies this position of both being objecting, but also imagining being accepting. Um, and you enter into this weird dual space, dual space where you're trying to hold two opinions at once uh, so that you can become like more capable of judging, uh, you know, the impact of, of the voice. And. He, I don't think he's saying that that's like just for the smart people. He's he's talking about that as the general experience yeah. of listening to anything, whether it's smart stuff or dumb stuff. Right. So uh, is there like is there another sort of uh, upshot to that point that I missed or like is that kind of cover it or. Well, I think that that's right. Right. And And the thing that he's interested in there is, again, like the point there is that just the way that that mass media is structured, right, is it constitutes us as what he calls other members, right, um, of, a, of a group. Right? Okay. So, if, so if you think of the group of listeners, right, the people listening yeah. to, the, to the podcast, right, um, that's what, what he would call a social object, right, which is just to say a, a, a collective of, of human subjects, mm-hmm. right? Uh, and then, you know, with, with the radio broadcast, it's sort of interesting because it would all be happening at the same time. But the podcast, like, they're kind of dispersed over time and place, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so his point is, like, you're never actually listening to this thing alone, right? But yeah. the relationship between you and, and, and the other members of your collective, right, of your indirect gathering, right, um, the, the way you experience them is as absent. Yeah. As, but still figuring in your listening experience. Sure. Yeah. So, so the way that you experience this is not from your own personal idiosyncratic special perspective, right? Like the, the podcast side sets up a perspective that you inhabit, right? Which is one of, um, one of, one of the people listening to their thing. Yeah. And, um, and then, you know, you start to get into the, like, you could just turn it off and go back to your daily life or whatever, right? But your real concern is that other people are hearing it, right? So I'm not just hearing this on my own. Other people are also listening, right? And it's for them that I listen mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. to make sure, yeah, right, that it's, um, that it's good, right? And then you start to slip into these perspectives, right? You start to think of, well, what about Mrs. Jones, who's listening to it down the street or whatever? Mm-hmm. Right? And, um, you know, 
what would I say to her? How could I, you know, formulate a response, right? And so you start to you start to listen to it from that perspective, right? Like how how best would I be the one that would speak to these concerns of other people, right? Yeah. If I yeah. could, one by one, sit them down and, and explain what's going on, right? Um, right, but I can't. But I can't. But this is how I listen. Yeah, it's how I listen. Yeah. But the awareness that you can also factors in, right? That you're that you're not able to. Yeah, it's impotence. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Which I don't think we've talked about, but so so the impotence of this sort of figure in a crowd that you yeah. are. Yeah. Um, it's a. It, it, this is the point where I think we can kind of, and I don't know. There's probably more. There's probably more about the actual um, writing to talk about, but to diverge. Um, sure. This is the the point where you know I think it very starkly this this piece of writing is exactly what describes what is not politics is the type of person that you are when you know you're part of a group uh, that's constituted by something beyond your control it's given you an identity that you don't get to participate in making. Uh, and at the same time, that identity doesn't give you any agency to act. Um, so we've been talking about how this applies to online culture, how this applies to listening to content, how this applies to the media and all that. And I think as you know, you know, what we talk about on this podcast is more and more, we tend to confuse that type of activity right. with, you know, political action. Yeah. Um, but it's first of all, it's not. It's not our own action, as I think we've kind of hopefully made clear at this point. It's not our own action. It's a sort of a, um, a programmed reaction uh, distributed through, uh, you know, a, a group of, you know, um, non-specific entities. But also, not only that, it's not really even happening in a public place. Um, I think that, like, this maybe departs a bit from what Sartre is saying, or maybe it doesn't, but I think it's really relevant with in terms of podcasts, Twitter, television, outrage culture, all the rest of it. Um, these are like kind of private concerns. These are things that we react in the sense of, well, this offends my privately held sensibilities. This doesn't, uh, this isn't a reason for me to become active publicly. And I think it's a really kind of important distinction. Um, Sartre touches on by saying that you retreat into the private when you, when you sort of, uh, want to turn it off, right? Yeah. Um, Which is, again, impotence, right? There's nothing I can do about this. Right. So, so, so you re retreat into the private realm and you just, your, your hatred of that thing you heard or your, up, up, your, your outrage is just kind of, a, a, you know, the only outlet for it is inside your bedroom kind of. Um, nobody, maybe your mom or your sister or brother hears you complaining, but it's not disclosed to the population at large. I don't think we understand that distinction anymore. Um, I think we think when we do that, when we have those opinions, and if we like, you know, kind of type them out and share them, that they become something other than a private opinion. Um, so that's the not politics in the title of our podcast, as far as I'm concerned, is that we have, you know, a billion outlets, and they've kind of taken on a life of their own. I see. Yeah. Um, but. Uh, we're not. So you mean the kind of thing that starts describing is going on, the yelling at the radio in the car. Yeah. Right. Is is basically all that's going on online. Is. <laughs> and not only online too. Yeah. Right? 
like in in more legitimate forums like you know um there are people whose job it is to do that like right the you know when ilan omar tweets something there are a lot of people whose job it is to go and 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 yell at her and and, and tweet back or go on fox or go on anything go on lots of right. news news outlets and and respond by basically saying uh, personally i don't like what this woman said <laughs> Right. Like that's 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 the sum total of what their what their contribution is. And they're doing so basically on behalf of all the other mute people that they imagine listening to her and her right. and what her who, who might be impacted by her opinion. Yeah. So, again, what they probably properly should be doing is just turning it off. The 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 thing that looks like something new i guess something that's yeah. not part of uh sart's estimation right. i think is just kind of like a, a, a sort of a, a you know a, an edifice built around just doing that thing where you freak out because you're worried what other people are going to make of this so you know whereas he was talking about the culture industry or the radio itself being kind of like the thing that that presents uh, uh, content and and uh and constitutes these passive uh, listeners. Yeah. There's also now another another layer that really is just the listener's reaction, but it's like right. right. But the listeners that are reacting, right? Like, do you ever read those fucking articles that are like, oh boy, there were some tweets about this one, you know? Yeah. And it's like, you know, and some people were like, oh my god, and other people were like, this is great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Right? Mm-hmm. Like the kinds of the kinds of things that are reported as public opinion, right? This is exactly Sartre's point, right? Mm. Are nobody's opinion, right? right. They're, they're not actually the, the considered thoughts of some individual. They're statements that are made, right, to, to um, take place in exactly the context that you're describing, right? So, um, they are they are what we imagine other people might think right and so we say them as though they're ours but we are acting as another for another does that make sense yeah yeah i i just think it now there's a dollar sign attached to it there always has been i don't think like there have been opinion columnists since there were newspapers right and and like i think that that's what he would say those people are they're not making Mm. thoughtful arguments Right. They're giving voice. Right. Everybody's conception of their conservative neighbor. Right. And everybody's right. <laughs> sort of like serialized understanding of the other side or whatever, or of their own side or whatever. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's yeah. not anybody's voice. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Um, yeah. So, OK, so I think this uh, this gets us to about like page four five or four or five of, of, of the chapter and it was about there where I got kind of lost. So that's fine. The point is something like this, right? Um, the difference between me and my neighbor, right? When I'm listening to this thing, right? Is not is not just a difference of um, you know, I'm in my house and they're in their house, right? Like it's not like what Sartre calls the difference of identity, right? Like it's not just that I live at 
1208 and they live at 1209, right? It's that um, this other person's gonna act, have a different reaction or a different relationship or a different behavior evoked by something like the radio. Does that make sense? Yep. It's, it's pretty simple. Mm -hmm. I don't know why it was hard to say, but right. So, so you could think of, if you're thinking of a series of people in a row, right? I live at house one, you live at house two, someone else lives at house three, mm -hmm. right? Our relationship to one another is not just a simple relationship of living next to one another, right? It's, it's being aware of one another's behavior as, um, you know, uh, reactions to things like the radio. Yeah. Okay. And so my reaction to the radio, <laughs> right, is always not conditioned by my awareness of your re of the other person's reaction to it, right? So, like, again, if we go back to the beginning, right, it's not that I care about what Ben Shapiro has to say. It's mm -hmm. that I'm worried about what other people will do when they hear it. Yeah. Right? And so what can I do about that? Well, I actually couldn't go and tell anybody. Like, I, I could start my own podcast, perhaps. <laughs> right. Right? Um, or I could, uh, you know, but all I would be doing then would be, like, like, basically trying to efficiently go and talk to each one of them one by one. Right? And that's just going to be impossible. Does that make sense? Yep. Because our, we don't have a neighborhood um, association or something. Like, we're not related in any other kind of meaningful way. Right. right. Um, so, uh, like, especially if you think about the people who listen to a podcast, right? Like, I don't even know who they are. Mm -hmm. I just know that they're out there. Yeah, and there's a strong chance that many of them are, like, insane and don't want to listen to you, right? Like, the, like yeah. that. I think that's maybe something that, well, I don't know. But, like, the the kind of, the way that, that Sart talks about these, like, quaint bread lines of, of housewives waiting for food scarce, like whatever. Yeah. He has a concept of something that's a little bit more like a physical community. Um, and he's saying that it's, well, it's not that, but like for us, it's like, you know, whatever, 60 years later, it's like, we don't even really ground it in concepts like that. We're imagining, you know, the most heinous, uh, uncanny people out there as part of the series. Yeah. And so we're spread exactly, right? And so, you know, like you listen to alt-right podcasts or something, right? Or like, yeah. or you watch the, you know, like I was thinking about this, like somebody posted, like somebody sent me a video of, of some asshole calling, uh, you know, telling someone speaking Spanish at Burger King or something to like, go back to Mexico. Yeah, yeah. And, and like, you know, like, oh, that's awful, right? Um, and, you know, like that, it was on CNN. Right. Um, but anyway, like the point is, right, that um, my, my worries about these, this kind of content, right, is not actually my own worry. I'm worried on behalf of someone who doesn't really exist, right? Mm -hmm. but, and so I become, for them, a, a, another person, right? Mm -hmm. Right, so like I listen from their perspective, and, and it's, it's this perspective of nobody mm -hmm. that that I listen to, and it's a nobody that I engage, right? Mm -hmm. In my own sort of impotent screaming at the radio or like tweeting at Ben Shapiro or like yelling at my dog or whatever, right? And that's like 
oddly satisfying. <laughs> but it's it's like so it's that that's right. fundamentally not political, right? I mean, yeah, I think but not I, political in any way. Like what he calls impotent, right? Like impotent. There, is, there is no action here. There no is no action. Yeah, and the whole thing that we we live without, I would say, in the world today, yeah. is nothing really of any substance constitutes our communities at all. That's the prerequisite for for political relationships, communities, context, action. Yeah. Uh, whether you whether you use a political economy argument, whether we are constituted as classes, whether we're constituted as sovereign nation, like you know, um, productive communities, whatever. We don't have that. We're we're you know, we're distributed on a very blank field, and we kind of relate to each other as like kind of anonymous things. This feels like politics, right? But it is yeah, not. Right. It's not right. Yeah. It is, and and it kind of drapes itself in a in a political sim symbolic uh, exactly right, posture, yeah. right? Yeah, yeah. So we we get the gratification of feeling like we act, uh, but we don't actually, probably never have in our lives acted. And, yeah. and there's no terrain on which to act um, because instead of that type of terrain, which I don't think we can in the context of this discussion really go into, but because we don't have that, um, uh, you know, just a technological medium for communication feels like a political terrain or a, a tool that allows us to communicate with each other. Yeah. It feels really like a political is. terrain. But it's, but, so I like the way you put that just because it brings it back to the beginning, right? Like the point here is, Sartre's point is like, it's not a tool that allows you to communicate with one another, right? It's a practical inert field, right? It's a thing that works on you that produces you as someone other than you. But his point is, right, um, it's not a tool that just allows you to communicate with one another. Right? It's a, what he calls a practical inert field, right? In other words, an arrangement of matter, right, that, that is the product of human action, right, but which now produces us as tools. And so when we speak in these kinds of ways, in, uh, in internet forums or, you know, on a podcast or, you know, just yelling at the thing, right? We're not actually, um, we're what Sartre would say other than ourselves, right? Where we are acting as one would for the benefit of others within our distributed collective. Does that make sense? Yeah. Um... We've gone a bit long, but I was hoping we could kind of go through that with some contemporary examples. Did you think of any? Do you have any in mind, like of you know a particular we podcast? A bunch, yeah. yeah, I don't know. Like I like the ones I always listen to to get angry are like I listen to Slate just because it's like these people up their own asses so hard, and or, or like Five Thirty Eight. I'll listen to that because it's just like the most cynical analysis of, of politics. It's just like you know. Uh, stats and, and quantifying things and like 
nobody has any stake in anything. And, and, and you know, it drives me a little bit nuts. Right? It's like, how can you think this? Right? I like I can just basically think of tons of examples of of stuff that makes me feel this way and it and it's like oddly satisfying to listen to it and yell at it and you do feel weirdly like oh i'm in the know <laughs> you know when you read this when you do this stuff right but but it it, it just leads to leads nowhere right um so i can think of like obvious examples and then you know we could talk about if you wanted we could talk about chapo and their their reading series right because like the thing that i think is so much fun there is they're actually enacting everyone their own listeners rage right like they're they're doing the thing that the listeners do in the car about uh who are the people they read like you know david oh. Plum and shit yeah right? ross yeah. do that rod dreher yeah, yeah. right yeah. yeah rod dreher right like they're they're doing they're doing this right as a form of entertainment <laughs> right for for the people listening right they're so, yelling yeah. at nobody so that you can be among those yelling at nobody with them. And it's kind of nice, right? Like it's a way of being What together. do you make of that though? What is that, what, is it, what kind of listener does that, I mean, is it, an, is it different from uh, the type of listener that's spontaneously yelling or is the listener that's agreeing a different kind of listener? I mean, I, because I it's like sort it's of a fanboyism. Yeah, I don't, I, I think like, you know, I think there are people that agree, like, I think it works just as well if you agree, right? Like, it's, it's not as though they're giving, it's not as though you thought of all this stuff, right? Like, but I'm, but I remember feeling this way. ready-made opinion that you can kind of adopt and, 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 you know, they're saying they're speaking my mind. They're not speaking your mind. They're speaking a general, you know, kind of position, right? That you can adopt for a moment. And and um, feel like somebody else, basically, right? Yeah, like, like I, better as an example of, of yeah, yeah. being sorry, calls other than oneself, right? And uh, when you agree, because it it allows you to you know uh, experience like you know they're saying better than you could your objections, which aren't actually your objections, right? So <laughs> they're the objections of one, right? A kind well, of general position. That's not really yours. I remember thinking like when I first got into listening to Chapo and uh, went through like the whole back catalog, and, you know, in, in a matter of a couple of weeks. And I remember thinking to myself or like just talking to myself thing, man, David French is a real like piece of shit. Like he just exemplifies that kind of entitled East Coast conservative bullshit. And I had to remind myself I've never read anything by David. <laughs> exactly, right? Like, I have absolutely no contact yeah. with anything he's written. Right. But they 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 focused on him so hard, and that's what they do, is they pick these figures that probably most of their listeners wouldn't have bothered to read anyway. Yeah, yeah. Um and you develop this very clear opinion of them. I don't think that their opinions are wrong because of that. I'm just saying I tricked myself. I owned yeah. myself into thinking yeah. that like I know something about Ro or Ross Duthat or whatever, yeah. uh, who I've never read, and I don't need to. I mean, like there's a bloated sort of media pundit class that doesn't need my attention, but it, it is funny how convincing that was. And yeah. I think part of what happens with these irony bro kind of um, leftist podcasts is they sound so much like everyone I know. 
like their right. voices and their vocal fry and like the kind of shit talking that they do sounds so familiar that it breaks through my kind of conscience the dissonance of of knowing that like i'm not actually relating to people in the in the media content that i listen to it breaks down a little bit of a barrier there and it makes me think that like no this is more this is more genuine because i sound like these guys uh when i talk to my friends um so i mean and, and i i remember thinking too like uh you know in 2016 um that leftist Brooklyn podcasters had discovered the kind of formula that Seinfeld discovered in the 90s because you the most effective kind of media is the kind that makes you think that you're in a social situation with friends when you're watching the show or listening to the to the show so like oh yeah right in other words you start to feel like you know the characters yeah and um and you identify with one in particular, maybe, or you think of yourself as closer friends with one of them. And like in Seinfeld, like it was like, it really replicated the sense of having an eclectic, weird group of individuals as your friends, not just the cardboard cutouts that you would normally get in a sitcom. Um, and, you know, syndicated television era where that was like kind of the only content anybody had to work with. It was a thing like Seinfeld where you, you got really comfortable and really familiar um, in a certain entertainment medium. And I think that podcasting now, especially kind of opinion podcasting, uh, they've cracked the code in some cases of, of giving you like the experience of, okay, I'm hearing new stuff. I, I'm, I, I'm, I'm getting kind of part of the like cultural dialogue, but it feels like I'm just hanging out with friends. And I, I have like, uh, and it gives it, so it does something that like in that the example, that the SART con, uh, chapter that we've been talking about doesn't say that media does. It says that specifically that media doesn't do this, which is give you a particular identity within, give you the sense of a particular identity within the content. But when, when, what is, what happens when you're doing this is, is you're a kind of passive receptacle, right? That, that the the thing sort of works through and you get, you know, positioned along, like in this case, on the same team as or alongside these folks, right? And and like you actually don't do anything, right? Like you don't say anything, you don't you don't talk to them, you you you're you're a passive, you know, lump of material basically when you're listening, right? Yeah. It, I, it, I was... it, uh, it, so so it's actually not you that that's being addressed right like it it's it's somebody else and so you get to feel like somebody else for a minute or something does that make sense well yeah and the creepy thing about it is that the the successful ones like seinfeld and like chapo is that mm -hmm. person that you feel like is someone who has a friend yeah <laughs> somebody true. who has friends yeah. is like the the and you know like as as valuable as a lot of the like you know, actual content might be if it was just written down in like a textbook or whatever and not in a, yeah. in a obliquely kind of manipulative format. Um, it, it's good content. It's fine. There's nothing actually that it's not like it's misinformation or whatever. And it's valuable to know. 
but the impression that's being left upon you is that you just had a social experience and yeah and you didn't you didn't <laughs> yeah, yeah exactly that's right yeah yeah no that's that's totally right and 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 like um yeah 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 like i think i think the thing that you said at the beginning was like you know this feeling that like i'm part of it right like, yeah i'm i'm in the conversation right? mm -hmm. but like you know you're not at all <laughs> do you know what i mean like there 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 almost is no conversation actually taking place between people right there there are just voices on the radio sort of um giving voice to canned opinions or canned positions right um that that work through us and that we feel a part of for a moment what about another example um that probably more people are familiar with because uh, i forget sometimes how niche the dirt yeah, yeah, is i mean i think fox news like we worry about all these people watching fox news right right i think anything like that the fox news viewer or or the or the the, the new yorker yuppie reader or yeah. the, you know like any of those sort of groups that you can identify with a with a kind of set of media thing, right? Mm -hmm. Those people don't exist. <laughs> right? They're um, prosthetic identities. They, they're prosthetic they identities. Yeah. Ethereal and, kind of and that's who you're engaging with when you're engaging mass media, right? And and those aren't and you don't even really engage them. It is the other thing, right? Like that's not what it actually is to to do politics, to be to be mm -hmm. Mm, engaged in a project right it's it's it changes nothing um well yeah that's a great point i think like uh the fox news one is 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 i overlooked it maybe because it seemed too easy but it's yeah. it's true like a lot of people um imagine a fox news viewer yeah uh, and they've been characterized endlessly as like kind of like you know overweight boomers who you know, have a little bit too much money and a little bit too little intelligence and they're easily swayed and they spend a lot of time watching. There's Trump, right? But like, yeah. uh, uh, you know, I wonder how many of them are are tuned into Tucker Carlson for the anti-war anti rhetoric, you know? Like, we're imagining a, a um, type of person. Are, are tuned in to be part of the conversation, right? Like, to, to be... Yeah. Or yeah. just yeah, just because it's like it's the it's the channel that is is watched around your town. But like, yeah. you know, but th there's there's stuff that doesn't there's stuff on Fox if you watch it that doesn't fit that fat guy narrative who just doesn't ever change his mind. There's there's nuance there, and okay. like you have to like when you and I engage with the Fox News viewer who we imagine is basically just like a poor version of Trump, like that that's in our imagination I, that's what you were saying and and it's true it's like uh we can you know rage at a person that doesn't exist but it, it's at some point left-wing people are going to realize that they have more to say to tucker carlson viewers than they thought um and uh yeah fox in general may be more like that than i realize i don't watch it um yeah. But the one, the example I was going to give was Joe Rogan. Oh, um, yeah, sure. I've never really listened to that. So. Well, I, the thing I was going to say about Joe Rogan is that it seems to have taken on a kind of, maybe this is an uncanny quality. Um, there's so many people who are like, <laughs> who live in the real world who are basically like Joe Rogan 
apparitions like that are like kind of mma uh life coach new age drug user people right and it's like that wasn't never, really a type of any, I've never met any of these people. What are you talking about? Yeah, absolutely. That sounds like a made-up person. Yeah, it does, right? Like, it, because it is. That's okay. what I'm saying. All right. It's okay. just like, but, but they have incarnated somehow. Like, I think because Joe Rogan is such a big uh, brand that has reached so many people, there are, in the real world, people to encounter who are, like, you know, kind of, like, hippie bodybuilder consciousness talky people and it's like that shouldn't work like you shouldn't have um you shouldn't be able to interact with a podcast in real life <laughs> but they exist yeah so i mean i don't want to yeah I, I don't know if we if we want to say that like these things couldn't become something mm -hmm. right? like like um you know, a Star Trek convention is yeah. different than an indirect gathering of Star Trek viewers. Right, good point. There's, there's something that could happen there, right? That, that's a different kind of, of collective, right? Mm -hmm. uh, and a different kind of social group than, than the one that listens to the show in isolation, right? And so, like, there, there are, like, just because listening to the show produces this kind of other self right um that doesn't mean that possibilities don't exist in other spheres of life for actual reciprocal relationships between humans that might be built on something stupid like a a, a shared affection for the joe rogan podcast right <laughs> um that's all so i'm not i'm not i'm not sure that like i don't want to say that and i certainly don't think that starts implying that um there aren't other things going on uh, beyond and after the listening of the radio right it's, it's it's this actual activity of consuming media that he's interested in here as something that we often think of, we, of us doing on our own right and for ourselves for entertainment or whatever right but he's pointing out like this is actually a thing that we do with other people and conditioned by other people right and actually as other people right um and and the particular sort of ideological thing he's discussing is something that we have, you know, said numerous times at this point. It feels like when I'm doing that, I feel engaged, right? And his point is that's not engagement, right? It's actually, it's, it's, it's pure passivity, right? Does that make sense? Yeah, I think that's exactly it. Yeah. Maybe that's a good point to, uh, to let this one go. Um, all right, so uh, any, any final thoughts? No, I think that's that's cool. I mean, that was fun. Yeah, let's leave it there. Yeah. All right.